Hello and welcome to the Wolves Report. I'm Ryan Lester and thank you for joining us for episode 79, where tonight we will analyse the Spurs match and analyse the player performances, talk about financial fair play in the Premier League after Everton's 10-point deduction, take your questions and look ahead to Monday night's 8pm kickoff against Fulham. Hope it's been a nice week or so. We've all been basking in our glorious injury time win against Tottenham Hotspur. And to talk us through that game, we have our club captain, Mr. Mark Knock. Unfortunately, Tyler isn't able to make the show this evening. Uh, send our best wishes to Tyler and hopefully he's back on the show soon. Knocky, captain fantastic. Um, talk us through our fantastic win where we beat the mighty Tottenham Hotspur 2-1. It was it was definitely a I was there day, wasn't it? Because it was a it was a phenomenal experience. Uh, look, I mean, three minutes in, I was absolutely fearing the worst. I thought we were going to get we were going to get a bit of a pasting. Um, they looked a really good side. I mean, the, the goal they scored, you can find you can pick holes in it. We pick holes in every goal, but sometimes you kind of have to just put your hands up and say it was a really well worked goal, some fantastic football, and and they moved us around. They played through us. They they found the space down the wide positions, and they scored a, a really good goal based on. Fantastic movement. So um, at that point, I'm I'm a little bit nervous. I think for the first kind of four or five minutes after that as well, they had a real semblance of control on the game, and, and you know you, you're sort of fearing the worst. You're almost in damage limitation at that point. But we just started getting a grip. We just started getting hold of them in midfield. I thought Lamina and Gomez started just biting a little bit in midfield and shutting down the space, and we just grew into the game. They started going a little bit deep. And I think after about 25 minutes, I felt that Wolves were in full control. They weren't creating a great deal. There was a, a couple of opportunities. Lamina had a good strike. Um, and then moving into the second half, Wang should have scored. Um, you'd expect him to in the form he's in. But we just started building a little bit. But I, I never really got the feeling we were going to score. It was... It just didn't look like it was coming. And to be fair, I'd have been really proud of them anyway because against a good side, injuries or not, Spurs are still a very, very good football team. So to perform like that against a team who would have gone top if they'd have beaten us, I thought it was an outstanding display. But we brought on Sarabia and I've been, you know, I've been one of his biggest critics. I don't think we've seen anything out of him, but it was probably the best substitute performance I've ever seen. I mean, the cameo from, what was it, 10 minutes? And the, the goal he scored was just phenomenal. The run to cut across the ball from Cunha, the touch with the outside of his right boot, which is his weaker foot. Um, and then, you know, it's not an accident where he's landed that ball. It's absolutely intent because you can see him follow the ball all the way down onto his left foot and he absolutely rifles it into the net. And after that, I'm thinking, just take the point now because we did this at Sheffield United. We scored late and then we ended up going a little bit gung-ho, got caught out and bang. But they were like a, a pack of wild animals after that goal. They were hunting them down all over the pitch. They were smashing into tackles. They were chasing Spurs. Spurs are gone. They're absolutely gone. And I don't think it would have mattered if Gary O'Neill had told them to drop back, if he had told them to hold for a point because they were just going for the throat at that stage. And we won a free kick. Um, Doyle, real smart thinking to curl one out wide. The first touch from Sarabia is outstanding to put it into his path. Lamina makes the run. He looks absolutely shattered because he's he's got through so much work in the game. But he makes the run, holds on the edge of the area and then bursts through the two defenders. Perfect ball by Sarabia and, and a lovely finish. And it's absolutely pandemonium in the stadium. It, it was it a was phenomenal experience. And I, I felt quite emotional, actually, when they got that second goal because it's you want to see your team work hard for you and you want to see them... You know, you want to see the effort first and foremost. But when they when they play like that and they get their 
they get their reward at the end of it and see the celebration with the manager, the substitutes tearing across the pitch and just absolute chaos in the ground. It was just, it was a really, really fantastic experience. And um, yeah, I, I was really proud of them. It was a, it was a great day. Yeah, it was a fantastic day. And I very much had the same mindset. I'd sort of, it got to 90 minutes and I'd prepare myself. Well, you know what? I'm proud of them because I think we've played well today. Um, I think we probably should have scored, but it, it was a good performance and it kind of yeah. set, well, if that's our levels, we're going to be more than okay. Yeah. But to score two goals in injury time, I mean, I was delighted at 1-1, but I know you say we went a bit gung-ho at Sheffield United, but it's shown that there is value in that. Yes, it's cost us at Sheffield United, but we've beat Spurs. And if you show that desire to go and win a game, you're either win it or lose it. Now, that means Wolves are a better point off if they'd have settled for a draw in both games. So being aggressive and being positive and believing in yourself, it will cost you sometimes, but that bravery has been rewarded. Yes, it was unfortunate circumstances at Sheffield when we all know what happened there. I don't want to talk about that three-letter word this week. We'll talk about financial fair play instead. But <laughs> it, it shows that if you're brave like that, sometimes it will cost you, but sometimes you'll be rewarded. And I'm absolutely delighted with it. So, yeah, but one thing, just, just talking about the game, Nocky, there's been some criticism about the opening goal. And now I thought it was a fantastic goal. Kulusevsky's drawn his man in. He's, do, he's done the drag and drop pass. He's, he's, I think he's fed it into the fullback who squared it. It, it was a very much a Man City kind of goal. But when the fullback gets there and they're cutting the ball back, it's very hard to stop it. Once any team gets the byline and cut it back, I mean, am I overcrediting Spurs or should Wolves have done better? No, I just think it's really good movement from a very, very good attacking team. And we knew they had issues in defence, but you know, going forward, they're, you know, they're arguably as good as anyone in the league with the exception of Man City. So they can do that to you. Um, you know, Brennan Johnson, they've, they've signed him because he's got the capability of doing that and he scored goals in... Um, you know, he scored goals for a team who struggled last year. So, you know, they've got that about them. The, the criticism I think people are looking at is maybe Totti should have cut the ball out. Um, but if you look at the movement of the player, he shapes to to move in on Totti. So Totti doesn't want to move towards him because of touching his pass and he's through. And so I think Totti's anticipating a touch, backs off to defend the ball after that. So it's it, you can pick holes in goals. I mean, you, you know, I mean, we're talking about our goals as being fantastic goals. From their point of view, they're, they're probably a disaster, aren't they? But sometimes you've just got to look at it and think it was just a really, really well-worked goal. And they'd threatened that a couple of times before. They're, they're, I don't think we barely touched the ball. We were scared to engage for the first sort of four or five minutes. And they were knocking it around us so well. And it was so fluid and so quick. And you didn't have time to reset. They were finding their passes. And every pass was with intent as well. So, yes, we could have potentially done better. But I'm not going to criticise them. Because I just think sometimes you've got to hold your hands up and say it's, it's a really well-worked well piece of football. Yeah, we aren't usually on here to credit good goals. But if if, you're over, if your full-back is overlapping at full speed, it's hard to pick up that run. The touch and drag is fantastic. And if you play that ball there in front of people when the forward is running off your shoulder in that split second, it's really hard to get in front. So, we have to, for me... And maybe I'd have talked about it differently if Wolves have lost. Um, but Wolves have won in the end, and it's not it's not cost them, it's made for the drama. But I think it was a it was more of a good goal than it was a bad goal to concede. Oh, agree. Um, before we go on to the goals, the, the overall performance, as I said, Noki, it was one to be proud of. Spurs, as we expected, I've watched them a few times this season, as I'm sure you have yourself. They fly out quickly, they're very aggressive, they take a lot of risks. And they just dominate you in that first 10 minutes and there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to breathe. And they did that and they, they did that to Wolves. But what really pleased me is Wolves weathered the storm. They composed themselves. And as you said, probably after 15 minutes, Wolves were probably the better side. 
Yeah, I thought we, we looked a good team. We looked like we belonged there. And I, you know, I watched Spurs against Chelsea and for the first sort of 10, wow, 15 minutes of that game, yeah, they, they took them to the cleaners. It was it was brilliant to watch. It was just like you said earlier, it was a lot like watching Man City. And even with the injuries, they've still got some quality players. I mean, Kulisewski, Son, Hoiberg in midfield, everyone was hurting us. Everyone just looked like it. They just looked better than we did at that point. And I think you've got to give Gary O'Neill real credit as well because there was just a little couple of tactical tweaks, a little couple of little changes, and and we just looked, we just looked organised when we got. It took us a while to get to grips with them. We were a little bit standoff. We were almost like we were chasing shadows, a little bit starstruck. But they did start getting to grips, and as soon as Lamina and Gomez started really biting in that midfield area, that's when that's when we started to come to it. But one thing I've noticed now which is probably what I didn't notice under Lopetegui. And I'm not digging out Lopetegui because we stayed up because of what he did last season. We look fitter. We look a lot fitter, especially moving into those final 10, 15 minutes. And even against Sheffield United, yes, we know why we conceded the goal. But the reason we got ourselves into that position wasn't a lack of fitness. It was because we we were going a little bit gung-ho and then we give a foul throw away. And then next thing you know, the ball's in the area and, and what's happened has happened. But we just look a lot fitter now. We look a lot more like... Everyone knows their individual jobs. He's kind of identifying players and he's he's targeting what they can improve on as well, which is something I really like. I mean, I didn't, I've never seen Lamina in so many advanced positions as he's been in the last few games. And he's got himself a goal against Man City and against Spurs. So you've, you've got to give Gary O'Neill credit for, for what he's doing at the moment. He's really looked like, he looks like a man manager. He looks like he's fully invested in what he's doing. And there's, there's got to be credit across the, across the whole uh, the whole setup at the moment because we don't just look like a team who's scrapping in the Premier League. We look like a good Premier League team who's not a million miles away from being in the top ten. Yeah, it's a really good point on Lamina. He's um I mean, for those who watch or are interested as well, we've we've recently launched the the Wolves Report website and I give Mario Lamina and Sarabia ten out of tens. Now that might be stretching a bit, but it's the opening article of uh, of our new website that hosts all the different formats of the podcast. But I think Mario's performance of Blocking, stopping. He actually, I saw him running with the ball. I saw yeah. him clattering people. His distribution was good. And to score a winning goal, you could see when he was plodding up the pitch. And I, I mean plodding. <laughs> he looked like he was gassed. His foot was down. Yeah. And it literally, if he hadn't got the ball, his next stop was to stop it. And the, the way he's forced himself in to score that goal. I, I mean, I'm so happy. I love that guy. And I know you love him as well. He just... Yeah. Yeah, you know what? He's not the most blessed midfielder, but what he does, he's very good. The way he's physical, he controls it. And him and Joe Gomez, the way they start to dominate a midfield, regardless of who they're playing, with probably the exception of one or two teams, he's, it's a real sight to see. Yeah, I mean, you say he's not, you know, he might not be blessed. I don't think there's many better than him in his position. And, you know, we'll talk about midfield. Is he limited? If you play Harry Kane at right back, you're not going to get a great performance out of him. You play your players in the positions where they're best suited and, the job he does in midfield, we are such a better team when he when he's playing and when he's linked up with Gomez as well. And Gomez, that honestly, I've no idea what that kid eats for his breakfast because he never stops working. His Reduces. ball recovery, yeah, his ball recovery, he's nasty, he's horrible, he snaps in, he just doesn't stop running. Even if the referee's blown, he's making sure he's getting a little a little flick on the defender before the ball goes away. He's just the work rate in that midfielder. And you're right, he was absolutely plodding to get forward because he'd given so much in that game and he worked so hard. And there was just nothing left in the tank and he was giving everything he got to get there. And that's all you want to see from your team. If you lose a game, but you know the players have have absolutely given every drop of energy they've got left, then you're always going to go with them. And the celebrations from him in the end, you can see what it means to him. And the, the players seem genuinely happy to be at the football club now. They seem like they want to be here. They feel It feels like 
almost a little bit similar to when Nuno was here. And I know it's because we're winning football matches now, but I never felt the link with Bruno. I never felt that. I never felt the connection with him and the fans. It didn't feel like we had that togetherness. Um, even under Lopetegui, you never fully felt like there was a real togetherness there. But it kind of feels like Gary O'Neill understands the club. He understands the fan base and the fan and the, the, you know, the players are buying into it as well. So it's always better when you're winning games and you're not losing. We all know that. But even after Sheffield United, I think on this podcast, we were very kind of understanding of the situation. We didn't come out and slaughter them. We knew it was just one of those things because you can see what we're trying to achieve now. So I think, as I said, you know, lots of credit needs to be given to lots of different people. Um, as we know, the, the show is recorded live uh, and I get a live feed of all the comments from Facebook and YouTube. So thank you for your contribution. I get on as many as I can. Insults, tactics, occasional compliments. Mark's made a really good point here. Um, players have got their passion back. As you mentioned then, Noki, the, the players look like they're enjoying football, but they're playing together and they're playing for us. And yeah. us in the stands then are making the noise. And there's, there's harmony again. They say the players have got their passion, but we seem to have all got our spark back. Absolutely, and I'll give you a prime example of that. He's Ryan Aitnuri because Lopetegui. Made it. About me, then. <laughs> You've never lost your spark, mate. You've always loved it. Oh, thanks, Bob. But Ryan Aitnuri, he was, you know, Lopetegui made it very clear he wanted to bomb him out of the club, and then you hear an interview from Gary O'Neill where he talks about the fact that he's absolutely mad and he'll do three or four messy runs a game, and he loves it. You've got a kind of manager who's telling you to go out and do what comes natural to you, and just go and enjoy the experience of being a footballer. You're instantly getting the buy-in, aren't you? You're going to get the belief, you're going to get the fight, and you're going to get the effort. And you know, there was again, there was a couple of great runs. They don't always come off for him, but he's always showing and he's always willing. And I think that's what O'Neill has done that perhaps other managers haven't done. He's really dig into the individual players, and, and rather than just kind of cut them adrift. Even with the Sarabia, I mean, Sarabia's barely kicked a ball as he for the most of the season. But he comes on and puts in a performance like that. And you've got to think that's got something to do with O'Neill and the way that he's been managing him. Because he, there was no, you know, there's no toys out the pram. There's no, I'm not playing for you. He comes on and puts in a performance like that. So there is a lot of passion there and there is a lot of a lot of belief. Now, yes, it helps that we're winning football matches and, and we're, we're kind of rising up the league now. And you're sort of looking up as rather than looking down. But you only build that kind of relationship and that kind of, of belief up if you believe in your players. So... You know, I, I was openly critical of Gary O'Neill. I thought it was the wrong man for the job. I thought it was the wrong, the wrong appointment. But you know, I'm certainly coming around to the idea that they didn't just panic and bring him in. They had a plan, and they looked at the plan, and they looked at somebody who could just be a part of what we are. And and you know, you credit where it's due. It's uh, it's looking at the moment like a good decision. It does look like a really good decision. It's um, things are very much as you say. They it's very much. Looking up, um, Carl White, as I just said, uh, we've got our identity back in our side. We have, we sort of, we can see the plan, we can see the passion, and they're fun to watch again as well. And yeah. I, d I don't know, I know Lopetegui talked about a, a possession sort of style of play, but there seems to be a lot more freedom now. And I think, I think O'Neill had mentioned, or one of the players had mentioned, that he's encouraging Huang, he's encouraging Neto, he's in, encouraging Bellegarde, um, the players, and probably Aitnori Nori as well, judging by the way he's doing it, he's encouraging players to run at people and have a go. And if you lose it, that's okay. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure if, if if Daz mentioned this on a show a few weeks ago. If you have 10 runs a game, they've got to stop you every time. If you beat them once, then they're in big trouble. Yeah. So that mentality of getting forward now, it's, it's exciting, it's direct, and we seem to be playing to our strengths. Absolutely. And if you look at, the players we lost, I mean, we lost um, 
Neves, we lost Raul, we lost Nunes, we lost Traore, we lost Pendence, Matinho. That's a lot of experience. That's half the old school gone. Yeah, and they are all good players. I mean, we, we criticise Nunes, but he's going to have a fantastic career. I've got no doubt about that because I think he's a really good footballer. But we're scoring more goals. You know, you, you're a big fan of the XG. You, you, you know, you're a student of that. Our XG is higher than it probably was at any point last season. And we, we're scoring goals on regularity. It's, I think it's, it's something like... 12 home games or something like that we scored in now. I know they're not all under Gary O'Neill, but we look like we can score goals. And, and I think we've just gone back to basics. We're playing we're playing to our strengths and we're playing to the individual strengths as well. And it's making a difference. And to lose all those players and, and look better in attack, when you haven't really added, um, you know, Kalajic hasn't had a lot of football. He's got himself a few goals, but he's not really had a lot of football. Silver, you know, we all want him to do well, but I don't think he's going to. So we've not done a great deal. We've just... We're just playing to the strengths now. I mean, your main striker is probably looking at Cunha because he plays kind of a false nine and he's got, what, two goals this season? But we're sharing the goals across the pitch. We're sharing them all over the place. And it's it's just working. What we're doing at the moment is working. And it's, it's you know, it's really great to see. Yeah, it's working all over the place. Um, before we go on to analysing the player performances, which I hope you guys are joining, it's a new bit we've sort of done on a regular basis this season. Um, drop in the comments if you're enjoying that or you're not or something else you'd like to see. Um, let's talk about the goals. First of all, let's let's talk about that equaliser from... And It's a real shame that, that Tyler's not on the show because we know he's... <laughs> I'm glad he's not on the show because he, he, he just slaughtered me. Yeah, he loves Sarabia more than he loves most things. And... I love Sarabia's talent. I just don't think he's a 90-minute Premier League footballer. What he is, is somebody that can open pockets late in a game like that. And that is such a magnificent goal. I'm delighted for Cunha, who's cut inside on his right foot. He's clipped it in. That first touch, touch knocker on his weaker right foot, he's, he's, he's caressed that like you caressed me at Villa Park in the, in the 95th minute. It is such a beautiful touch and finish. And at that point, 1-1, I'm delighted. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been critical of Sarabia purely because he looks like he could be such a good player. He's got such a good touch. He's a, got a footballing brain. But I've just thought last season and, and maybe the times I've seen him this year, he just looked a little bit disinterested, a little bit like he just didn't want to be here. Do you think that's because, do you think a lot of talented players look like that though? Because it's so easy for them. Do you think sometimes yeah. they're lethargic because the game's easy to them when that when they can touch a football like that? Potentially, but I also don't think we helped him out because we played him, you know, in a in a wide attacking position. You know, we asked him to get chalk on his boots when that's just not his game. He's not going to be able to do that in this league. He can't play as a winger because he hasn't got that pace. He's your for me, he's your number ten, he's your false nine, he's someone who who, who can find those spaces and, and have a little bit of time to receive the ball and, and distribute. He's you're gonna waste him if you're not gonna use him in his proper position. If you look at where the goal came from, the equalizer. He's making that run from midfield. You know, he's dropped deep. He's making the running between the seven man, yeah. He's cut across his man. He's not wide. He's not. He's basically said to him, go and play wherever you want. Just go and get me a goal. And he's just wandered into different positions. I mean, the winner comes from Sarabia being on the right wing because he's wandered into space. He's found the space. And that's what good players will do. They'll find pockets of space on the pitch. And there was no space in that Spurs defence. That, that rear guard action that they put in, it was a rear guard action because you look at the stats, Wolves were all over them. Um, but there was no space on that pitch, but he managed to tiptoe into the only position on the whole pitch where there was actual space. And he just makes a real clever run um, off the back of the defender and the ball in just completely takes out the back line. It's just a wonderful ball in. And, but, to you know, you've got no right to score from there. You've got absolutely no right. I mean, the first touch just 
just kills the ball stone dead. And, and to finish it like that, it's just a, an absolute phenomenal strike. It's a it's a goal for the purists, and it's one I didn't see coming either. I've got it in my head that, that you know, we weren't going to get back in this game. They, we're going to be disappointed, but we're going to be proud. But to see a, an equalising goal like that with just the, the touch, and he's, if you look at his eyes, his eyes are never off the ball. Right from the point he strikes the outside. That goal's a coach's dream. The way he strikes he's, that volley, it's just, my dad always taught me, not that I was the best volley with the ball, not that I was the, that was the best footballer, but volley the ball at the lowest points of the ground when it's coming down that you can. And that, yeah. that was... Technically brilliant. You don't play for the clubs he's played for and be a Spain international if you're not a good footballer. He clearly is a talented footballer. People have mentioned it's giving Gary O'Neill a headache for the game at Fulham. He may come in, he may not. I see us going with a five, but we'll talk about that. But after that, Noki, 1 1, Molyneux buzzing. We've like we've got what we deserved. Well, we've, we've, we've at least got a point because we deserve something out of this game. At Sheffield United, we went for it, we lost, but they pushed on, they kicked on. And it's such a brilliant goal in so many aspects. Just taking you through my memory of the goal, the ball comes forward. Sasha's pressing from the front. He's forced an error. He's forced a short pass. Short pass. Mario's come in. He's got the touch. He's, he's gone down. Mario looks like he's absolutely cooked. They've argued about the free kick being taken quickly. Doyle spotted it down to Sarabia, down the right-hand side. Dropped his shoulder, cut in, like whipped whipped a little thready ball into Lamina with his last breath of oxygen available that day has managed to stride and slide it home, Knocker. Did you enjoy that? You don't need me to talk after that, mate. That's exactly a perfect synopsis. <laughs> but it was, and this is where the quality of Sarabia comes in because I don't think, I think there's probably only Sarabia or Cunha could find that pass because it's such a difficult ball. I think so many players would be tempted to just just bend one into the box and see we'll where it lands. It's, it's such a good pass. It's deliberate. It's absolutely deliberate. The weight is perfect. The run from the mean is perfect. And to get that little touch, I mean, from where I was sat, it looked like he put it wide. Um, so I was about to... I was about to get a little bit cross, shall we say, but he just... To see That's that the thing you've ever said. Corner. But to be honest, the highlight for the whole... Um, the whole of that moment for me was when I got home and I watched it again. And you can see Gary O'Neill with his head on... His hand on his head. Looking for the offside flag. The goal goes in and you see him look at the lino before he celebrates and I thought that's yeah. just a marker of where we are now. He's expecting it to get ruled out because yeah. it's us and then he goes, he's running off the pitch and the manager who doesn't celebrate goals goes absolutely bananas chasing down Wonderful. towards the South Bank. and It, it, it was utter, utter pandemonium and, and to see the players come across and mug him and, and the bench empty and you've got players steaming across the pitch. It's just a... It was just a great moment for us, and and it's it's why you go to football, isn't it? You know, you don't go to football because you expect to win. You go to football hoping you're going to win, and if you want to follow a team that's going to win your games and see nothing but wins, and you you're definitely watching the wrong club if you're following Wolves. So, those are the moments that that you live for. Is those when they've earned it as well. It's not a smash and grab. It's not a no, by no means. It's not. It's not something that you've just somehow managed to win the game. You've got a result that you deserve, but it's not something that really feels like it happens to us. So, yeah. Really enjoyed it. It's definitely one of the highlights of uh, of my time supporting the club. Uh, probably the, definitely the height of the G-ball era so far. In that game, before we go on to the players, Wolves 17 shots to Spurs 6, 4 on target to Spurs 2. Um, Wolves had three clear-cut chances in the game to Spurs 1. Wolves 11 corners, Spurs 3. Um, look, looking at that, Spurs, I think their keeper made two key saves. So, statistically... It, it was clear that Wolves were the better side, but as we've seen in, in some games, you don't always deserve what you get, but Wolves were very, very good value for that for, for that victory in the end. Um, although in absolutely glorious circumstances, and just before we go into the player ratings, 
I think that does more for Wolves winning like that than it does. But if you beat Spurs 5-0, you're absolutely buzzing and bouncing around. But to score two goals in injury time, I mean, to break that record for a team that's losing the most in a Premier League game ever to win a game. I mean, I know they put it the other way around and Spurs to be winning the game and then lose it and they put it on Spurs. But Wolves have broke a record and that speaks to where Wolves are at the moment. The belief is absolutely there. Um, You are listening and watching episode 79 of the Wolves Report with club captain Mark Knock and myself, Ryan Lester. Mm-hmm. Let's go through the team knock before we go on to some other areas. Um, Jose Sarr, what did he really have to do apart from pick the ball out and one late, on, one late save? He didn't, didn't really have anything to do. He can't do anything about the goal because, as we said, it's good movement from Johnson to get ahead of the defender and, and to finish it. Um, there was a couple of moments. There was one where Johnson got through late on and... I think he cramped up and tried to chip him. And then there was a good save. I think it was from La Celso after they, they got himself into space with Kulisewski. Other than that, I don't really remember him having to do anything. Everything he did, he did well. Um, his celebrations for the winner were outstanding. So for me, it was a it was a really good, simple performance. He's had much more difficult days at the office than that. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll group them together this week. Um, lucky, but... Maximilian Kilman, Craig Dawson and Toti Gomez. Three footballers who are all very good at very different things. One is an ultimate stopper defender that manages to tackle and have absolutely everything. He's bagged Son, he's bagged Haaland. One who seems to be quick and doesn't get skinned in Toti. Um, and Max, who's just the, the silkiest centre-back, it just glides around, chipping balls over the top. We found, whether it's a fluke, whether it's brilliant, Wolves have just come across... <laughs> a back three that just works, that if Tyler was here, he wouldn't have been having that at the start of the season. And we probably wouldn't either, but it just works. It does work. And and like you say, they're three very different players and they complement each other. I mean, there's a great, there's a great video on, on Twitter of the ball landing on Kilman's head and him just running across the pitch of the ball. <laughs> like on his head. <laughs> I don't know any other centre-half that can do that. They just complement each other well. And, and I think Kilman in particular is much better when he's got, two centre-halves around him. He just looks more comfortable. He looks like he's got a little bit more time to play. But you've got Dawson hitting diagonal balls. You know, he's hitting 40, 50-yard balls the way Cody used to do it from that position. And and Toti, he's, he's a cult hero, isn't he? Because he's an absolute definition of a player who just wants to play football. He works his socks off. He's got a little a bit por- of quality. A, Portuguese, a fully Portuguese international now as well. And, and congratulations to him as well, because that is you know, he's, he's come from grasshoppers. He's come back to Wolves and, and now he's got himself into the Portuguese national team. And he deserves that place as well because he's you can't criticise his performances. Anything that we've done this season that's that's gone awry, you, you can't really point fingers at him because he, he's he's solid at what he does. And, you know, I don't know where his career is going to go, but if you look at him at this moment in time, he's a player who's earned the shirt of Wolves and he deserves to keep that shirt because he's, he's absolutely working his socks off. And, and I think the fans love him as well. He's, he's got a real feel of a court hero at the club and, and there is a little bit of quality there. You know, there was a moment in the second half where he's he brings the ball out of defence and then there's a couple of quick one-touch passes to free eight Nuri down the left wing. So he can play football and he's a, you know, he's a, he's a real athletic, strong, powerful lad. He doesn't get beat. He doesn't get done for pace. He looks a good centre half, and, and it works with the three of them. Kilman is he's really growing into that position now. Dawson's bringing that level of experience that you, you want from from a centre half, and we're becoming a pretty tight unit. And you know, Jose Sarr at the back, he's he's not making saves in big games, and I think that's you know that's credit to your back line. Yeah, the what the one thing I really like about Toti is with his inclusion when it's a back three, not like a back four at Sheffield. 
it frees up Aint Nori, who's such yeah. a talent on that side of the pitch. And those two complement each other because Toti doesn't need to get forward. He's a stopper. I mean, the, the ball was put in behind Toti a few times and every time he caught up, it was yeah. like, you, because he's quick, he's athletic, he's strong. And I don't think he's, I mean, Craig Dawson's a tidy footballer. Max Kilman's a very gifted footballer with the ball. He's probably not as blessed as those two, but, but he, he knows and he plays to his strengths. Toti Gomez is a stopper. You don't stop Phil Foden. You don't stop Diaby at Villa. Um, and you don't stop Kulusevski by chance. That's a player that likes defending that stop people. So, And the stats don't lie. Since his introduction into the team, Wolves are a better side for it. Um, moving but on to... It's on also way. likely, though, to get you four or five goals a season. Because out of the three centre halves, he's the one who looks the most dangerous from from set pieces. I mean, he got a brilliant header against the Villa last season. He had a goal against Liverpool that was ruled out. He looks like a player who could score your goals. So he's he earns his shirt. I mean, we spent fifteen million on Santiago Bueno, and he can't get anywhere near the team. I know there's been a few fitness problems, and maybe he gets in next week because of the suspension. But you know that his shirt is he's there because he's earned that shirt, and that's that's credit to him, especially with the journey he's been on. Um, moving on to the wing-backs, Nelson Semedo and Ryan Aitnori. Um I thought Nelson had a really good game. Nelson, for me, he's very good in the midfield and defensive third. He's, However, there's still a little bit left to be desired for a £35 million pound footballer when he's up in the, in the final area. But what he does defensively, in the, for, and has done for the last season and a half... He's become a very, very good stopper. Nelson hasn't been skinned recently, and, and, it, and I'm, I'm really pleased for him. I've always been a Samado fan. I really like him, and I agree we need a little bit more for him in the final third. Um, but when he first came, he was vulnerable, and that was one of the things that Barcelona, probably one of the reasons they got rid of him is because he got beat, and he got beat with regularity, whereas he's, he's not doing that now. He's defensively very sound, similar to Totti in the sense he's got the pace to get himself out of trouble. Um and I think if he could work on his finishing, he's similar to Ait Nuri, really. I mean, Ait Nuri, as we know, is brilliant going forward and, and relatively solid going backwards. But the positions that both of those players have got themselves in, they should probably be on three or four goals each this season because they've had those chances. If they were good finishers, would they be fullbacks? Because it's you know the realistic, you know, realistically, you, you get identified as a finisher when you're very young. So it, it's because they don't score goals is where they've ended up as a wide position. But I, I think that they're too. They're both very good players. They're both technically very gifted. They can beat man and they can get themselves into attacking positions and they can they can deliver decent balls into the box as well. But I, again, I don't think they had a great deal to do. Everything Spurs did, they, they tried to play down the wings. They tried to, to work through us and find those little spaces. And a couple of times they did manage to do that. There was one when Hoiberg got himself free on the right wing, but there were few and far between, and even when they did, we were we were good enough to get ourselves out of trouble. So, there were two relatively solid performances. I thought they were they were pretty disciplined. Nelson a little bit more. He, he held his defensive line a little bit more, and Aitnuri seemed to push on a little bit more. I think he had the comfort of Totti behind him. Um, but they both they both did their job really well, and and it was again seven out of ten performances. Yes, solid solid performances. Really really pleased. Um, lots of talk of. This week, paper talk of Liverpool being interested in Aitnori, and I'm not surprised because if you play that well, everyone's going to be interested. And for me, he defended well uh, when he went in a back four, um, but I do think he's, he's better as a wing back. I just think it suits his game to exploit. And he had a few problems in his first probably year in terms of lasting 90 minutes. He looks like he's lasting the 90 minutes now. He's do he's managing that better. He looks fitter, as you mentioned earlier on. The players and the team look fitter. 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted. Uh, moving on to the midfield three, it sort of looked like it was Mario and Joe Gomez holding with um, John Wick the Bella guard as a sort of floating number 10, switching here and there and everywhere. But again, it was, we'll start off with the holding pair, Noki, that Lamina and Gomez, again, like the back three, it just works. And when they're together, when they've got their grip on the game, they control things. Yeah, we've potentially got Doyle who can play there. We've got Bubikar who can play there. But for me, that's the two that really work. They complement each other so well. Um, I, I do think the first 10 minutes they were struggling. Uh, Spurs were playing through us. But after that, they, they got fully to grips with the game. And, and I think having Gomez there allows Lamina to push on a little bit. And he does get into more attacking areas now. But as a two, they're, they're just so strong. And, and Lamina, for me, he's, he's probably the best I've seen at Wolves in that position because he's so strong, he's so physical, he's disciplined, he knows when to go forward and he knows when to hold. And if he can get himself into attacking areas, he will. If he can't, he'll distribute the ball well. You, you very rarely see him give it away, but he reads the ball particularly well. He, he's you know The amount of times he's cut passes out that play through midfield because he's anticipated where the ball's going to go. And with Gomez, he's... he's ball retention and he's the, the way he recovers possession after we've lost it. I've never seen a player do that to the levels that he does it to. He's, he never stops running, never stops working. And, and, and again, similar to, you know, Lamina, he's, he's, he's improving. And I think he's improving now under Gary O'Neill. I think he was, he would naturally improve anyway because of his age, but he seems to have a clear vision of what he needs to do when he's on the pitch. He seems to know exactly where he, he should be playing and how he should play and where he's when he should hold and when he should go. And it, it, it works perfectly well with the two of them. And I, I wouldn't swap them at all now. They're the two that I want to see, you know, barring injuries and suspensions now for, for the rest of the season. Because I think that's the two that can win your games. You win your midfield battles in the Premier League, you give yourself a really good chance of winning the games. And, that, and those are the two that can do it for us. Uh, moving on to Bellegarde, who I think he's... <sighs> His decision-making and corners weren't the best, but the way he travels with the ball to give Wolf something different from midfield, I think there's a fantastic footballer in there. That drop of the shoulder, he's yeah. tenacious, he's busy. He carries the ball very naturally into space. He's deceptively quick. He doesn't like... He just sort of glides past people. I think there's a fantastic player in there, Noki. Now, I'm not sure where he was playing, because, and I think that's a compliment to him, because he'd, he'd pop up wide, he'd pop up centrally. And if you're playing fluid, that's a nightmare for the opposition, but great for us. Yeah, I mean the corners in general were absolutely atrocious. I think it seemed like it was a near post, didn't we? Oh, it, seemed like, it seemed like it was an instruction. I think the first time we put the ball past the near post, we we created an opportunity from it. But everyone, even when we swapped corner takers as well, we were, we were, couldn't beat the first man. It's, <laughs> which is one of the most frustrating things in football when you can't beat the first man from a corner. But yeah, Bellegarde was popping up everywhere. He was he was kind of similar to Sarabia when he came on. I don't think they had a set position. I think it was go and find some space on the pitch and. and be fluid and that's what football is now you, you know you're not a centre forward you're not a winger you're not a central midfielder you, you've got to be fluid and be able to anticipate where the space is going to be and go and exploit it but you're absolutely right he's, he's, he's deceptively quick and he does skip past people he's got that he's got that level of arrogance that you need in a footballer to, mm. to make it at the top level you've got to have belief at this level absolutely got to have belief. and he, he's absolutely got that so for the money we've got him from at this moment in time, he looks like a, a, a shrewd signing and a good investment for us. Um, and I think he's, he, you know, he's only going to get better, isn't he? You can only see him improving and getting more goals and and when he settles into the team, because he's not had a lot of football at all at Wolves through suspension and injury. So I think when he settles in, he's, um, you know, he's going to, he's going to be one of the first names on the team shoot. 
moving on to the front two and giving you a well-earned sip of water and a breather. Um, Quangy Chan, um, probably not his best game in a wall shirt, but what I would say about Quang, if he doesn't score, obviously you don't notice him a lot more because he's, he does his best work in the opponent's sort of penalty box, but he pressed, he was aggressive, he tracked. He's, as Tyler said again, I mentioned Tyler a bit, he, Quang, he's very, very good without the ball. He's a proper team player. He knows yeah. his job. He tracks, he works hard, he's, he, he presses, he's aggressive. We saw that at Bournemouth. And so pr probably a quieter game for Huang, but still a good team performance uh, from him. Um, Cunha, probably more lively. When he gets the ball, it's so exciting. Okay. When he picks the ball up from a bit deeper, I thought him and Bellegarde were going to get each other's way a little bit, but... It, it did seem to work. So I like Cunha. And surprisingly, he's picked up a, a position on the left-hand side to cut him with his right foot to, to, to set up a goal, which isn't something I really would associate or expect from him. But he's a bundle of fun. And I just, if he could just add a goal or two more to his game, it, it, it'd be fantastic. But um, he's, he's, we saw at Man United, he looked like a completely different player from last season. And we didn't really see... We saw a few runs, but now it's almost every game. He picks the ball up. You know what's going to happen. You're excited. His teammates are bombing on. And he, they're, they're all over the place. So the opponents are all over the place. So I thought Cunha was okay. Wang was Wang was all right. But Noki, um talk about the substitutes. Talk me through Pablo Sarabia's <laughs> 10 out of 10, 10 minute performance. I think just one more thing on Cunha. Um, the pressure's off him to score goals because the players are scoring. So I think he had the the fear last season he was our number nine he was going to go and score us the goals and he wasn't able to do that whereas now he's picking the ball up from deeper positions he's driving he's running at players he's beating players he is chipping in with the old goal but it's not fully on his shoulders because other players are scoring which I think's given him I just think it's given him a little bit more belief that he can just go and play his natural game um, in terms of Sarabia, yeah, absolutely outstanding when he came on. He uh, he didn't really have a set position. He just came on and influenced the game. And as we said, he tiptoed into space for the goal where there really wasn't any space and he managed to find it. And then again, he anticipates the uh, the space on the right wing and, and that Doyle's going to find him. And the first touch takes him away from the midfield and, and he picks that pass. So he's a, he's a really intelligent footballer. Um, I was absolutely convinced we'd sell him when we hit the January window. Um, but I think now he's put Gary O'Neill in a position where he's got to have a look at him. The difficult thing is, where do you play him? Uh, because at the moment, I'm not dropping, I'm not dropping any of those attacking players for him. Um, you can't really play, put him in a midfield area, so you, you kind of he's not going to start games. But maybe you'll get a little bit more time off the bench. Maybe just get a little bit more of an opportunity to, to show what he well, can do. I'm I'm unfair in saying at this moment in time. Pablo Sarabia, Tommy Doyle and Sasa Kalajic are all players at the moment we associate with impacting the game from the bench and they're not starters. Yeah, because they've all impacted the game from the bench. I mean, Kalajic started and, and he was OK, um, but he didn't manage to influence the game when he started. And yet coming off the bench, he's you know he's got us a couple of winners and it's, it's the same with Doyle. When Doyle did get his opportunity to start, he it didn't really work for him. And, you know, I'm not going to criticise him for one for one performance, but when he comes off the bench, he's starting to run games. And, and it's similar with Sarabia. I don't think you can start him because I don't think he'll affect a game from the start. But when you've got tired minds and tired legs and you bring on someone with, with that kind of football in IQ, that's when he can hurt you. 
So it's a difficult one. It's similar to the Adama situation last season and, and Adama at Fulham. Now he, he's not starting games because people have realised that he's not. He doesn't win you a and game. He's, from, and he's been a bit injured as well. He's he, he suffered a bit of injury, yeah, but he doesn't win you a game from 11. He wins you a game. Well, from would you say that before we play Fulham? Well, we all know what's happening because they've got two of our old boys, don't they? So we've got to score three to win that. But, you um, are listening and watching episode 79 of the Wolves Report with club captain Mark Nock and me, Ryan Lester. Just a quick shout before we go on to our next topic. Dave Shaw said, my two lads were mascots at the game. One walked out with Sartre and one walked out with Lamina. A day that I never forget. Wow, that is incredible. I've got to be honest, I wish I was a mascot that week that weekend as well, coming out with Mario or, or Jose. Uh, nice one, Dave. I'm sure you're really proud of that. What a day and what a performance. Um, moving on to the second part of our show this evening after the uh, talking about the game. Um, this week, with the breaking news that the independent panel have decided to deduct Everton 10 points for financial fair play irregularities. Um, it was talked about, um, Noki, I know you've talked about it, you expected um, a smack on the bum and a, a naughty, naughty and a little sticker to say you've been bad. I don't think anyone expected 10 points, Noki. Yeah, it's not 10 points yet, is it? There's going to be an appeal. So I wouldn't be surprised if they don't backtrack a little bit and give them a bit of a lighter sentence. But I, I, I yeah, I didn't expect any kind of points deduction, mainly because if you deduct these points off one FA charge, when you've got a hundred plus on Man City, what are you going to do with them? Stick them in the National League. So it's it there's it, it, a massive knock-on effect because the clubs that make all the money. And let's be honest, your Chelsea's, your Man City's, they're the clubs that bring in the revenue because people want to see them team play. You're risking taking them out of the division if you're going to put these sort of sanctions in. And I'm not sure the Premier League financially no, want to do that. Th- this isn't this isn't a slight on Everton. I don't care about Everton either way. I love Wolves, and that's what I care about, and I love football. Somebody along the line had to be first. Unfortunately, it's Everton. Yeah. Now, if, as reported, Everton broke rules and they knew they were breaking rules in the process, which is what I'm led to believe, please correct me if I'm wrong, then you deserve to punish. What is the point of financial fair play? There's no point in implementing those. The, there's no point of having those rules if you aren't going to be punished for them. What's the point? Because if you're going to keep fining people, you're setting a precedence for next time. Well, they only got a telling off. They only got a fine. You're just saying break the rules and we'll take more money off you, which is ridiculous. Unfortunately, somebody had to be first. Now, if they've got a deal with Chelsea and if they've got a deal with Everton, you've got to say Everton are probably the easiest one to deal with. No disrespect to Everton. But then when you're dealing with two financial powerhouses, as opposed to a club that's struggling and got new ground and had some ownership issues, you've got to put your foot in the ground somewhere and get yourself a foothold. And that's what they've done. Um, I'd be surprised if it's reduced because they've got to be pretty confident with stuff like that. Um, Either way, I don't, I don't think it really affects Wolves this season. I mean, Wolves form may drop off, but I don't really see it it making a, a huge difference to Wolves, but it's, it's a massive wake up and there'll be some clubs like Wolves potentially were, who were close to the edge who have flirted with the payments a little bit and gone a little bit close to the edge. So, I mean, is it a good thing, Nocky? Are you happy this is happening? Or is it sad that football's in this situation? I'm, I'm not a huge fan of financial fair play, purely in the sense that I still think it gives the bigger teams 
more power and more ability to, to kind of move further away. But I understand the thought process behind it because we've lost football clubs. We've lost teams like Berry, who were, you know, a, a good old traditional club who went out of business because they didn't control the finances and, and ownerships and things like that. So I think they've done the right thing. Um, but now they've got to stick to their guns. So they're going to have to go after the Chelsea's and the Man City's and, and how they do that. Could it be a season where maybe City have to have a season off, they get a real heavy points deduction and they're looking at a mid-table season. Maybe they'll do that to them. I don't know, but it's the right thing to do because that's what the rules are. You know, the rules are in place for a reason. You've breached the rules. There's been clubs who've been relegated because you breached the rules. They stood with the rules and they got went down because they couldn't strengthen the areas that they wanted to strengthen. So it's the right punishment to make. I think there's, there's bigger ramifications because there's talk of those clubs suing now because they're in the, in the championship, which could potentially put Everton in administration with a further nine-point deduction. If that happens, then I think it's curtains for them. Um, well, there's a simple suppose, message here, Nocky. Don't, don't break the rules. Yeah, and it's if, vindicated. It's vindicated our summer, hasn't it? Because we, you know... I, well, well, I well, looked, well, let me just bring this up, Nocky. And you can you can answer this, Richard A. and Zen. Should Jeff be given more respect regarding financial play for a financial play avoiding action? I think he has to. Yeah, I mean, I was critical of the summer because I thought we were absolutely sleepwalking into relegation with with what the business we were doing. But he's clearly realised that we were in a in a very very dodgy situation, and we we could end up in the position Everton were in, and. You know, yeah, you have to say it's it's that a few things have fell into line. I think that the league is weak this year, so in a sense, we've kind of not got away. Weaker, with it. I wouldn't say it's weak. I say it's weaker than yeah. it was. Well, I, I think it's pretty weak. I mean, from Everton's point of view, we're what is it twelve games into the season? They've had ten points deducted. And they're not even bottom of the league. So hmm. I think you, you know that there's three teams at least in this division who are absolutely horrendous and we're going to get relegated. But then they made a decision that they were going to strengthen last season to give us a chance of staying up. We did stay up. They've had to pay the price for that this season. I don't think any of us actually thought Everton were going to get hit in the way they did. So we were all very critical. We need to. So it's, it's kind of what we've done. He's kind of been vindicated. We've done the right thing. Yeah, he's absolutely done the right thing. He's he's, he's identified a risk. He's been told by the Football Association in the Premier League, "You're in trouble if you don't get this sorted." We fixed it, and we're away from trouble. Everton kind of ignored it and carried on doing what they were doing, and bang, they've hit a, got a points deduction. So yeah, as critical as as everyone has been of of Jeff Shee, he's absolutely made the right decision. What I would end on that, thank you, Richard, for the question, by the way. What I would say, not just Jeff, but I'd say Wolves were in a situation in the first place and someone is to blame. You've got to look at your, your Fabio Silvers, the huge fee for Nelson Samadio, your Patrick Catronis. There has been a lot of signings that probably haven't quite justified, well, some of them definitely haven't justified it. So Wolves were in a situation that was partly inflicted. Now, I know there's a risk, there's a gamble with every transfer that you do. But equally, I think Wolves could have done a lot better, especially with the, the £35 million Fabio Silva punt. It's just, that's a big dent out of your money. Richard, thank you for your, your question. Um, and let's, I, I think you, make a, you made a really good point on that, mate, because it's we, we've looked at more sensible business now. I mean, Lamina was, what, £9 million quid? Fantastic. £18 million quid. You're bringing in players like Kalajic, £15 million. I know he's been injured, but he scored two winning goals for us. He's almost paid that back already. So you don't have to throw loads of money around to be successful. And, be and we've, we've learned that lesson now. It's smart business as opposed to just launching money at it. Absolutely. Uh, as I said, Richard, thank you for your, your contribution. Uh, moving on to the questions now. John T. asks, all probably agree Neto is the next cab off the rank. What fee would we command? Mendes involved, of course, after him. 
who and who would most likely be next. Now, I don't really want to think about Neto going just yet. I was only thinking about Neto pulling his hamstring and thinking Wolves are going to be in big trouble. And then they put that performance on against Spurs, which makes me think, well, that wasn't so bad. <sighs> Neto signed a long-term deal, I think, last year, knocking up the start of the year before. Mm. It's a long time on his contract. He's taken Man City to the cleaners. He did the same to Villa. He's absolutely flying before his hamstring injury, which apparently isn't as bad. I mean, I know he's potentially in contention for a squad place against Fulham. If he's not 100% fit, I'm having nowhere near the squad till he's ready. He's too important with the busy Christmas coming up. The form he's in, and at one point, after well over a quarter of the season, if you're a top assister in the Premier League, playing for a bottom half side, what are you capable of playing for a good side? Again, it's an unpleasant conversation because I only want to see him playing at Wolves. But for me, Noki, that's huge money. We're not talking 40 or 50 million. It has to be way north of that. I think anything north of 50 and Wolves are interested because with his injury record, he dips in and out of form. I know he's in great form now, but he's also had a couple of seasons. Yes, there's been injuries and yes, there's been other issues, but... I think if Wolves could get anything north of 50, I think they'll absolutely take someone's hand off because he's he's a player who can't stay fit for long periods of time and, and there's always a, an injury somewhere on the horizon with him. So I think I think he's very I think I'm just gonna jump in there. I, I understand what you're saying. I think he's unlucky because he's had the impact injury with his um I think his kneecap, his patella, is that the right thing? And and then and then he had his ankle. So he was very unlucky with those. I think they're unfortunate. And I think the hamstring injury, running at full tilt, is, is very unfortunate as well. And you, you are right. The record speaks for itself. But I think particularly his kneecap, he was very unlucky. But but play, some players are, though, aren't they? I mean, a Kieran Dyer couldn't stay fit. Steve Frogger at Wolves, you know, if you're looking at players similar to him, he couldn't stay fit. Tony Daly couldn't stay fit. Some players just pick up a lot of injuries. And, and I'm, you know... I'd almost written Neto off and I absolutely love no. him now. I think he's fantastic to watch. I think he's great. But I also think there'll be a little bit in Wolves' mind that the next injury is not too far away. So is his value going to get much higher than it is now? Do we sell him at Christmas? I don't think so because I, I don't think you're going to get the best money for him. But if he has a good second well, half... I think in terms of value, you'd get for a desperate side, you would get the most money for him. But with another half a season of this form then that may increase it as well. Wolves will be mad to sell at Christmas. They'll be absolutely mad. Yeah, I, I don't think they will. I mean, my point about you'll get more money for him because I think you get potentially a bit of a bidding war because I think there'll be three or four clubs looking at him. But I, I, you'd you'd like to think we could get 60-plus for him. Um, but I think anything over 50, I do think Wolves will be interested. Premier League tax, mate. People are paying obscene money for Premier League footballers. John C, thank you for being part of episode 79 of the Wolves Report. Uh, another loyal supporter, Greg. Good evening, Greg. Greg asks, do you think we will ever get us to a stage where the authorities think of the fans when it comes to a match day in the Premier League? Just thinking of the Fulham and Chelsea kickoffs. I was Greg talking about Wolves are playing away at Fulham on Monday night. If you're really quick, I think you can get back to Marlebone. I think you can get back to Houston and make it up there, but it's difficult. It's not ideal. And then obviously the Christmas Eve game for people with families, it's an absolute pain in the ass. It's it's going to put people, give, give a difficult question. Other people, Christmas Eve, watch Wolves on Christmas Eve, go to the pub. It's fantastic. And that may suit them. That's fine. For me, it doesn't particularly work, work for me. I don't think it works for Noki, but Greg raises a really good point, Noki. It's unfortunately, we... We as football clubs and 
from the, the, the little I know about the football clubs, they have very little to no say in the TV games. Sky or BT, they come knocking for what they've paid for in their contract and they get what teams they want at what day and what time. I believe that Wolves were disappointed. Um, I know there's been sort of various fan forums. I think every fan forum across the Premier League agreed and they, they wrote to no joy. But we are very much the last in the pecking order, considering we're the ones that make the atmosphere and the noise. We are very much at the bottom of the pile, aren't we, Nocco? Yeah, I mean, to answer Greg's question, they won't think of the fans. But you kind of sold your soul to the devil, didn't you, when you with the Premier League? Because... It brings in all this money and it's the best league in the world because of the amount of money that comes into it. And that's generated by the TV revenue. So I think it stinks that we're playing on Christmas Eve. Um, you know, I'll, I'll watch Wolves on the moon if they're playing, but Christmas Eve for me is I can't leave my kids and go and watch a football match on Christmas Eve. It's, it's about family for me. Boxing Day is different because it's always been on Boxing that's Day. A tradition, it's isn't it, it's yeah. always been there. Yes, yeah, so everyone knows it's coming, but, you know, I've got two young children and the idea of leaving them to go and watch Wolves is is, is just something I can't contemplate. What's leaving them? At some point, you've got to put the family first, haven't you? So <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's, I think it's wrong. I don't think it's right that we're playing. Um, it will suit some people. People have different circumstances. And that's fine. And, and, and that's I, I, fine, I, I, yeah. And I'm, I'm happy. But people with families, it's putting people... And because yeah. we don't live in a sense of Wolverhampton, we're a bit more outside of the Midlands or on the or in the West Midlands... It, it's harder. It, it, it doesn't it, need tough. to happen, though. It doesn't need no, to it's, happen. No, it's, it's, it's unnecessary. Much Christmas I, I think this is very much a trial run. Um, they're putting the toe in the water. Fans have kicked off a stink. I know Wolves aren't happy about it, but we, we have to do as we're told, unfortunately. And um, Greg, thank you for being uh, a regular part of the Wolves report. Um, Jonah asks, uh, with England playing like prime Derby County <laughs> and Wolves <laughs> looking at the table rather than down, What's more likely to happen, England winning the Euros or Wolves getting the Europe? I'll answer this one, Lockie. Um <sighs> Wolves are doing great. I'm not going to get excited about dusting my passport off just yet. Um, let's see another 10 games and we'll have that conversation. However, jumping into the subject of England, which I hate doing because I'm going to end up ranting for an hour, with those players, Harry Kane, Jude Bellingham, Declan Rice, Bakaya Saka, Jack Grealish, there are some fantastic footballers that should be going toe-to-toe with attacking football against any team, any team in the world, but they don't. I mean, I watched tonight, I think they went 1-0 down to North Macedonia. It was 1-1 when I turned it off, so I can message in the score now. Um, what's more likely? And I'm, I'm going to get shot for this. I'm actually going to get shot, but I, I think Wolves are more likely, I think England are more likely to win the Euros than Wolves finishing Europe this season. I just think there's a, it's a bit of an ask it's way more realistic than it, what I thought it would have been five or six weeks ago. But Jonah, I've, I've, I've got to say, I think it's more likely England. I mean, I've got to be honest, if Tyler and Nocky were managing England, I'd expect them to get to the final of the Euros this year. And that's no disrespect to Nocky and Tyler either. Mate, there's more chance of me growing an afro than either of those two things happening. So, If one of them happens, will you grow your hair for three months? It'll still look like this. You won't make a one <laughs> bit of difference, mate. I'll grow my chest hair if you want and plait that. But other than that, mate, I've got no hope. I think, you know, well, can Wolves get into the Europe? It's not a fantastic league above us, but it'd be a hell of a punt for Wolves yeah, to get there. I don't think Just, just look at the, the teams above this. It's a big ask, isn't it? It's a massive ask. And, and as, as for England, I just think, under Southgate, I don't see. I think he's too negative. I think the football we play is, is handbrake football. Much, there's other managers I think could win something with England, but no, nah, I don't. 
I don't think either is going to happen. Just finishing off on that question, Jonah, and thanks for your contribution. I mean, I always try I try and be positive or mainly sit on the fence sometimes. But what I would say about England is I, I, I can't believe how much talent they've got and how bland the football is. If there was a manager like, I'm not saying I want Bielsa, but a Bielsa-like, just go at them. If you put your talent going forward against anybody, that team is going to outgun anybody. I genuinely believe that. I know that's not modern football, and Bales was a one-off for what for what he did at Leeds, which was great entertainment for a few years. But um, I think they've been massively undercooked and been forced to play a brand of football that doesn't suit the talent they have. But thank you for annoying me, Jonah, and thanks for your question. Um, uh, one last question before we move on to Monday's game. Bobby Smith asks, what is sweeter, Noki, a crispy creme donut or a last-minute winner over Spurs? What about two last-minute goals, injury-time goals? There is nothing finer in the world than a than a goal in general. So a last-minute winner, there, there's nothing in the world better than that. I've said to you before, I've had two kids and, and I'm really proud to have had more children, but that feels so much better when you get that winner in the last minute. It just feels incredible. So oh, it's man. those spontaneous moments. That's that's what you'll carry to your grave with you. So, yeah, I'm a big Excellent. fan. I'm looking for when, 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 you, when your kids have their 18th birthday on there, I'm looking forward to playing this video. Um, which you said on, playing, to be fair, which not suit. <laughs> you have been listening and watching episode 79 of the Wolves Report with Mark Knock and myself, Ryan Lester. Um, Nocky, Monday night, Fulham away. Craig Dawson is suspended. It's a big, big problem for Wolves. Um, also, uh, João Paulinha is suspended for them, a player that Wolves were linked with. He's done tremendous at Fulham. He was very unfortunate that his transfer to Bayern Munich for 70 million ish fell through uh, at the end of the window. I don't know who's a bigger loss because Dawson's key for Wolves and Paulinha is certainly key for them. Um, but it's a problem. How Wolves going to replace Dawson? If he's fit, I'd kind of like to see Bueno come in, Santiago Bueno. I, th- I think, you know, we spent 15 million on this guy, so there's got to be something about him. Um, I think I'd be tempted to kind of put him in the centre of the three because I think that's probably the, the least disruptive. Yeah, and I'll keep Totti where he is. I'd move Kilman and he could play slightly to the right of Bueno. Um, that's what I mean, I'd like to do. The the only other option we have, I know we've talked about this on the group chat with Tyler as well, but the only other option we had is you could bring Doherty to right centre back and move Max to the middle. Now I know it was against I think Blackpool, do that. and, and that, I that's because Matt Doherty's playing. He's played international football this window. Uh, sorry, this break. Um, he's been getting games through the season, so he's the match ready defender. Now that's probably a very attacking move because it almost pushes you to a back four and pushes Nelson and maybe Doherty and Tomato can switch. But defensively, that is vulnerable because you've got someone as solid as Dawson coming out and then you're going far more attacking with someone that probably isn't as good a defender. Yeah, I mean, f- for me, I'd put Bueno in because I do think if Adama doesn't play, I don't know whether he's fit or not. Fulham haven't got huge amounts of pace and I think pace is what will probably hurt Bueno. He did look very good in attacking areas when we were... He was a threat, wasn't he? Yeah. He was a threat, yeah. And, and at some point, you've got to give him a go because you haven't signed him just to, to never see him again. I do. My head does tell me that Doherty will come in because I think it's the easier move to make. It's a player who's well. He's proven and match ready. Sharp, Premier League, yeah, yeah. Premier League hardened. He's, he's uh, good to go. Moving to the other end of the pitch, Steve Lee's asks: If Nesso is fully fit v Fulham, do we start him or stick with the same side or same forward line that played Spurs and keep him as a very useful option from the bench? I'll start off this one, Nocky. Um, Nesso has been so good. I just don't think it's worth 
any risk whatsoever. If he's fully fit v Spurs, one, I'd be very, very, very surprised. But equally, anyone coming back from a hamstring, I don't think you can start them. I think you need to ease them in with 15, 20 minutes just to, to blow the cobwebs off because a hamstring is a horrible injury. You come back too early from that and that's you gone for six or seven weeks again. And you do it too badly, you need surgery. So if he is fully fit, which is the question, I mean, the temptation then, Noki, is just to go for it and go with the four, but I'm not sure I want Toti and Kilman as part of a back four. And I mean, if Tyler's texting me now, he'll be selling me something terrible if that's the back four. But um, if if Neto is fully fit v Fulham, no, because I think you have to change it. And I think it worked too well. I think he comes on as a, as you say, Steve, a very useful sub. Would you say that's fair, Noko? I would. I mean, if the question is if he was fully fit and the hamstring's 100%, then you start him. You absolutely you drop him? start him. Probably Bellegarde. Although I think Bellegarde's a good player, but we've looked at our most dangerous when we've had Huang, Cunha and Neto. Um, yeah, that's fair. But, but on with you, I, I don't. It's a hamstring injury. It's we're moving into a really cold period. It's going to be cold over the weekend. There's going to be snow, um, and we and we need Neto. Christmas is so we busy. There's, there's, there's home games against Burnley coming up. Um, and there's, there's some, there's some, we, we need him fit for those kind of games. I, I don't put him in the squad if I'm being completely honest, because I know that he may be fit. He may be able to be a part of it, but it's a hamstring injury that can go south really quickly. So for me, unless you are a hundred percent, and even then, I'm giving him no more than, than 20 minutes at the end of the game. Um, I just don't think it's worth the risk, even if you lose this game, but you get Neto back for the for a Christmas where we could potentially pick up a few points. I'd rather do that. I just don't. I, I think it would just be an unnecessary risk to play him. And the one comforting thing is, although Spurs did have a few players out, going forward in that game without Neto, Wolves looked like they were a danger. There was, yeah. there was a goal threat. They looked a threat from left, right, central. They looked like they could make something happen. Um, we are at that uh, part of the show where we predict next week's score where Wolves go to Craven Cottage on Monday night. Tyler has messaged me and he's told me Wolves are going to win 3-0 and Toti Gomez is going to get a hat-trick. Nice one, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> so, Noki, your prediction and first score of Wolves away at Fulham. I hadn't done him. Absolutely done him. I hadn't actually thought about this. I had a little sneaky against Spurs and for most of the game it was wrong. Um, I think Wolves can win. I really do think Wolves can win. I think um, I'm going to go 2-1. Two, two, um, oh, Huang and I think Jimenez will score for them as well. Oh, you absolute stinky. He's got his first there. goal. If, he? if Troy doesn't cross on him and Adama and, and Jimenez doesn't finish, we all know that's going to happen. It's just, well, if we, just if what, we can't just defend that. If we can't defend that after the last five years of drilling it, then we want shooting, don't we? Absolutely. I'm going to go for a 2 0 Wolves win and I'm going to go for Jean Arisna Bellegarde to open the score. This has been episode 79 of the Wolves Report. Thank you so much to our club captain, Mark Nock. I've been your host, Ryan Lester, and we shall see you next week where we are delighted to bring Johnny Phillips onto the show to talk about Wolves, his new book, and analyse, hopefully, Wolves win against Fulham of the Wolves. <laughs>